Good morning. These next few weeks, as Tim mentioned, we're going to be focusing on our spring spotlight. And so our spring spotlight is to find your place in the church. And we chose this theme, or this theme was, theme was chosen, as if I had something to do with choosing it. Um, but this theme was chosen uh, because there are so many new members at Castleberry over the last few years. And that is such an exciting opportunity for us here as a church. We are excited to be able to welcome these new members and enfold these new members, but it also presents a challenge. There are a lot of things that need to be done and a lot of places for people to be able to um, put in. There we go. And we get to find a way to accept that challenge and put us all in a place where we can work and find our place in a church. So this series of lessons that Tim and myself will be preaching will help us learn what the Bible says about finding our place in the church. So open up your Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And while you're doing that, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I want to give you a heads up of what to expect at the early service the next few weeks. So this week, as Tim mentioned, I'll be preaching on worship and finding our place in the church through worship. Next week, we'll be finding our place in the church through fellowship, and we'll be, I'll be preaching on that. The following week, we're going to have a singing, and remember that, we're going to come back to that at the end because I have some details for you that we can plan on that singing. Thank you for being here this morning. I appreciate Cody, Nathaniel, Luke, and Sawyer leading us to the throne of God this morning and allowing us to worship together. We're off to a good start today. And it is good to be able to focus on worship today. You being here this morning already shows that you have value for worship somewhat in your life. But today we're going to build on that. And today we are going to focus on the biblical truths that Paul wrote to the church in Corinthians on how to worship. Worship was something that was frequently neglected in the history of God's people. From the very beginning... God rejected Cain's sacrifice. The most exciting times at the foot of Mount Sinai, golden calves were built. The Sabbath was forgotten. The law was forgotten. God was forgotten. The people of Israel continually messed up worship. And this was no different in Corinth. Corinth had a difficult time approaching God. They came into the worship and they were divided because they were looking for specific teachers and identifying with specific teachers, if I can get my words out. And Paul and Apollos and all of these were causing people to stumble and not be able to come together to worship. Worship can very easily be neglected. So we need to see some principles from 1 Corinthians chapters 11 through 14 this morning, where we'll be pulling our lesson from today. 1 Corinthians chapters 11 through 14 is a section about the assembly. Five times in this section, Paul uses the phrase, when we come together, or when you come together in the assembly. And that is why we chose this section. That is why it is so impactful for us that we can see how to worship. So today, we can find our place in the church by worshiping. So for, in order for us to worship, we need to pursue unity. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, starting in verse 12, read with me. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink. 
of one spirit. Did you hear the word one used like a lot in this paragraph? We are one body. We are one body. We are one body. We are in one spirit. We have drank of one spirit. It is continually communicating the same concept. And we are one, firstly, because God is one. And God is one is uh, an essential part of understanding who he is so we can come together to worship him. If we claim to serve God, we have to realize that there is no divide in God, that he is only one place and he is only one will for us. And God is one in everything that he does. So we can't be divided if we're, in the, we're the people of God because God is one. And that's just where we start. And the contrast of this, of course, is in Corinth. Idols are everywhere. Each person has their own household idol and their own temple on their own street corner, and they have to go to each one to see what the will of that God is versus this God, and each path you choose has a different will. But God is one. There is one God with one will, and he is different than the world's way of deciding how to worship. We're well familiar with what Jesus calls the greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And we might remember that comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6. But there's an added line right before that that I think is essential to understanding who God is. And that is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your might, and with all your soul. The Lord is one. It's been true from the beginning. It's true in Corinth. It's true today. And there is no way for us to forget that. We need to be able to see God as one on the throne so we can serve him correctly. And it's so important for us to start here because people and churches throughout history have neglected the truth so that they try, might try to preserve unity. There is only unity in God because God is one. The finding a divided truth only creates divided people. And so finding ourselves in God is the way to find unity in the church. God has one plan for us to be saved. God has one plan and one design for the church, and that is that we are the body. And so God being one unites us in our goals. In chapter 11, verses 17 through 22, we can see the Corinthians be a bad example of this, but read with me uh, 1 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 17. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. In this section, we see the Corinthians were not approaching worship well. They were coming together to take the Lord's Supper, and some were eating more than they should and before they should. And there was no unity in what they were doing. And the way that we come together to remember Jesus matters. 
You ever think about the fact that you could very easily have some unleavened bread and some grape juice by yourself in your car on your way to worship? Of course not. That is not how we take the Lord's Supper. That's not how God designed the Lord's Supper to be. It is something that we have, it has been designed that we do together and we do collectively and we do as a family, as a body of God. Can you even imagine how that would look like? The church in Corinth is worshiping with these selfish practices. They weren't waiting for each other. They were eating on their own, and they were eating more than they should. Can you imagine if someone had eaten the entirety of a Lord's Supper bread and left none for anyone else? You could cut through the tension in a church with a knife. How in the world would you be able to approach the foot of the cross and to remember Jesus Christ when there are such divisions in the church? Can you see how unity is so important to understanding worship and coming to be worshiping God together? If there are divisions among us, it puts a veil over our face where we cannot see God. Unity is essential to who we are as God's people. The way we worship can never be self-serving because God has created us to serve. In the way that we are baptized into one body, God has created us as the body of God. And of course, we know God always creates with a purpose. Think back to the garden. He created Adam and Eve so that they might cultivate the earth. There was work to be done. There was service to do. In the same way, when God has created the body of his church, we are here to cultivate the earth. We are here to be doing work. We are here to be serving Read with me in chapter 12, verses 27 and 28. God created us to serve, and he created with us, us with a purpose. Chapter 12, starting in verse 27. Now you were the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administering, and various kinds of tongues. And we'll stop there for now. We know that worship looked a little bit different in their time. The revelation of God had not stopped being made to people, and so there were miracles involved in their worship so that God's revelation could be understood. There was translation. There was prophecy. There were things that we don't see in our worship today. But those things happened so that we could see God today. But I, I have to ask myself a question. When you see all these exciting things happening, when you see prophecy happening in church, when you see people speaking in tongues and translating and healings and things like that, miracles happening all the time, you have to ask, how could this cause a problem in the church? This seems like such an exciting thing that they could come to worship God and he has manifested himself in people powerfully. People were doing it in the wrong way. People were doing it not to serve, but to be seen. People were doing it, and it was dividing. It was not worship, and that needed to be corrected. There are two ingredients that need to be seen so that we can see the, uh, the, the unity coming together. But before we get to that, we've got to learn to serve together. We've got to learn to serve together so that we can find unity when we find unity, we can find worship. Without unity, worship is something that we will not be able to even come close to approaching. 
because we'll be so focused on ourselves and where we're lacking in our body. So we've got to strive to come together because we are created as the body of Christ in this way. I couldn't help but think of the song, We Are One, that we sing sometimes. And I just wanted to read the words for us for that, that it, it just fits so well with this concept of unity. In the body of the Lord, we are bound in unity. Just as we are one with God, you are also part of me. We are members of his church made to fill each different role. When you use our gifts for him, then our work builds up the whole. When you serve where I cannot, I rejoice in what he's planned. By your strength, our work is done, and we follow his command. Thus we bear each other's loads till we rest with him above. Altogether we can serve, joined in labor, faith, and love. We are one. As we serve in truth and perfect love, all united in the mind with him above. We should be one together. That drives us to the cross. That drives us to God, and that allows us to worship. Earlier, I asked the question, how could such exciting miracles cause problems in a church? How could it be dividing? And there were two ingredients that are missing. The first is order. But first, find your place in the church by worshiping in unity. In order for us to worship, we need to pursue order. An order starts by coming through submission. Paul begins and ends this section in chapters 11 through 14 with women out of order, out of their role, claiming authority when they did not have the right to do so. In chapter 11, they were not wearing head coverings when they were prophesying and praying. And by doing so, they were putting themselves into a place of authority. And in chapter 14, verse 34, that's where we see Paul say, the women should keep silent. Let me start, go back a little bit farther. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. And then verse 40, but all things should be done decently and in order. When people try to claim authority when they shouldn't, again, this is a distraction in a church. This keeps us from worship. Chapter 11, verse 16, if anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. Worship requires submission. We aren't here to please ourselves, but to please God. And that means we have to humble ourselves before him. Again, imagine how difficult it would be to worship with an unsubmissive, disorderly congregation. Every time Tim makes a point, Richard sticks his hand up, nope. That's not right. I don't like that. Or I can say it better than that. And every person in the congregation is doing that simultaneously. How can you come together to worship God in that way? God requires order so that he can be seen and so that we get out of the way of ourselves. We have to be submissive in our roles so that worship can happen truly. And secondly... Order comes through diversity. And read with me in chapter 12, verses 4 through 11. We can see how different the church was here in Corinth. Chapter 12, verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. 
For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. There's a lot of different things going on. This is a really exciting church to be a part of. There are so many things that can happen, but God is behind it all. He empowers all of that activity, and furthermore, he authorizes all of that activity where God has allowed the church and Corinth to worship. Worship comes through God, and it happens because of God. And God chose for worship to look like this, and this is what he wants for us. And God's plan for the assembly, it would be easy for us to try and design it ourselves and think, if I want order in a church, I want a lot of similar people. I want everyone to kind of have the same goals and the same ideas, and then we'll go from there. But that's not how God created the church. God created the church through diversity, where there's different gifts and different abilities and different personalities and somehow, through God's wisdom, that makes it fit together better. We need to find our order in doing things differently. And that's okay. We have to be able to, in the truth, follow God and do so to our strengths. When people are each showing off their gift the way that they want, speaking in tongues whenever, prophesying whenever, it does not bring us to the worship of God. Consider how this sounds. When you go to a symphony and they're warming up, they're all playing a note at the same time, and it just kind of sounds muddled and messy, and you're not sure what's going on. But then the lead plays one note, and everyone else harmonizes from that note. And from this mess turns into something beautiful. From this disorder turns into something orderly. And do you notice the combination of our two points so far? That the order came from the one note. That there is unity because there is order. And there is order because there is unity. So our assembly, in our assembly, we have to value order so that our worship can be how God designed it to be. In chapter 14, verses 6 through 12, Paul talks about how there is no reason for the church to have someone speak in tongues without an interpreter. It doesn't bring value. It doesn't bring people closer to God. It's disorderly. The gifts have to be used, but they have to be used in the right way, at the right times, and that takes wisdom and discerning. Find your place in the church by worshiping with order. In order for us to worship, we need to pursue love. And chapter 13 is the chapter to go to for love. We're going to read the entirety of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 here in just a moment. But earlier I mentioned that there are two ingredients for us to find unity. And those ingredients are order and love. All three of these are so essential for us being able to worship God and to approach the throne in the way that he has designed us to. So read with me. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we'll read the whole chapter. 
If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. This is a chapter we know well, but it may not be a chapter we've applied to worship specifically. It's something that we use interpersonally all the time, but using it in the assembly is just as important. Love is the motive for us seeking for unity, for us seeking for order. We heard it in here. If I speak in the tongues of men of angels but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. There is a disunity. There is a disorder. There is problems when love is not present in the assembly. There are issues um, in Corinth because love was missing. Without love, the acts of worship in the Corinth meant nothing. That's something we should stop and focus on for a second, don't you think? That without love, if love is missing in our assemblies, that the meaning is stripped away from it and it is left meaningless and worthless. Without love, the church is nothing. So this is the motive in our worship, that we have love towards each other, we have love towards our God. All the gifts in the world, all the exciting worship in the world, nothing without love. Even if your worship is profound, without love it is meaningless. Even if your worship is full of faith, so as to remove mountains, without love it is meaningless. Even if your worship is sacrificial, so much that you're willing to give your body over to be burned, if it is done without love, it is meaningless. Love is so essential to finding worship. Love drives us to order. Love drives us to unity. Love drives us to worship. If, you're, if you love your brother that is leading in some way, we would never walk over that brother, would we? That's something that would never even cross our minds. We're there to support him, and we're there to learn, and we're there to worship because of love. And if you're a leader, leading in love, you're doing so in, for the best of everyone there listening. You want to edify. You want them to grow. You want the church to be built up because you love them. That's the motive for our worship. That's why we do what we do. And let's see what Paul means by love, and that's verses uh, four through seven. What we find here is love driving to unity very clearly. When we are loving, we want to work with others. 
We are patient and kind. We're not envy or boasting. When we are loving, we are humbling ourselves. We do not insist on our own way. When we are loving, we want to elevate others. When we are loving, we want to build relationships with each other, and we want to worship together. Love is always going to be a part of our worship. And that's that last part of this chapter. Prophecy will end. Tongues will end. This, this God-given miraculous knowledge will end. But love is going to be a part of the body of Christ for all time. And that is essential for us to work on the way that we love so that the, the church can be what it's designed to be and so that we can find our place in the church by worshiping with love. Find your place in the church by worshiping and understanding. And this is the reason, one of the reasons, I should say, for our worship. The primary goal of worship, of course, is God himself, that we come here to glorify him, we come here to remember him. Remember, this section started in chapter 11 with coming together to take the Lord's Supper, to remember Jesus together. And God is the reason we can meet, so of course our focus needs to be on him. But there's an added goal here, and there's an additional goal that we're going to focus on now in the context of Corinthians, that we have a goal of understanding. Otherwise, our worship does not bring us any closer to God. When we come to worship God, understanding is essential. When we don't come to understanding, we're not worshiping effectively. Now, that logic just tracks, doesn't it? If I don't understand what I'm saying in scriptures, how am I worshiping, right? And so we have that. And without understanding, there is no edification. There is no teaching. There is no practicality. There's no way that we can apply what we've learned from God's truths. So we need to value the truth in what we do. There's a practicality that needs to come from our worship and our understanding in worship. We need to realize that we're not coming here just to feel good, but we're coming here to do good and to learn to be good. And it should challenge us and change us and transform us because that's what the Word of God does. Listen to Psalm 119, verse, starting in verse 27. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Put false ways far from me, and graciously teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. We want to understand God. We want to understand his will and his word. And that is why we come to worship. That's one of the reasons why we come together. That's one of the reasons why it's so important for us to find our place in the church is so that we may be understanding what God has for us. If we arrive at understanding, Paul adds in a, a benefit in chapter 14, verse 24. Even an unbeliever can see God in that effort. Of course, we come together and we really value our members getting the most out of our worship, that it's uplifting, that it's instructing, and it's encouraging. But there's such an added benefit there that if our visitors come in the door and they think, wow, God is amazing because they saw him in our worship, that is something that we should value because understanding is here for us to find. The other word understanding is used is edification. And of course, that word just means to instruct, to teach. 
The worship that we do is supposed to change us. It's supposed to make us different. It's supposed to bring us to God, to think differently and to live differently. So the result of all of these principles, what this brings us to, is chapter 14, verse 5 and verse 12. Chapter 14, verse 5, the end of it says, So that the church may be built up. And verse 12, strive to excel in building up the church. Worship builds us up. Worship takes us to new places and strengthens us. When you have worshipped in unity, order, love, and understanding, there's an end result here of being built, built up. Worship has an important effect. We're part of a growing kingdom of God. Never forget that. We're not just in this, these walls doing what we want to do, but we are part of God's will, the one true will of God, and we are growing as he wants us to do. We can't make the same mistakes as the church in Corinth. We can't be divided. We can't make the same mistakes as Israel did in their worship all throughout their history, neglecting God, neglecting truth. We have a wonderful opportunity to come together and to worship God as his people. He has invited us to the foot of his throne where we can come to him and we can lift him up and we are edified in the process. Worship is a beautiful thing and we get to work on it together. And we're going to work on it together in two weeks. And so in the back, on our, in the foyer on the table, there are sheets that uh, I hope all of you will pick up. If you don't, I will also be emailing this out so that we all have the opportunity to do this. As a church, we are going to read through the Psalms in a day. That does not mean each of you will read all 150 Psalms, but we have split up the Psalms for everyone uh, to be able to read at least a portion of a Psalm. Nobody got saddled with all of 119. We split up the longer ones. Plus, there are more than 150 of you, so we had to. Um, but to, do th to worship God effectively, we are going to read through the Psalms on Thursday. This week, all of us will read our Psalm, and uh, we will return this piece of paper in the back to us on Sunday. And on it, it says, This Psalm teaches me to praise God because, and fill in the blank. A few weeks ago, we did something similar with... I want people to know about Jesus. And you brought back your feedback, and we were able to build a singing around those responses. We're going to do something similar with this. Where with your psalm, you're going to talk about why you want to praise God from that. And then we'll compile those answers, and in two weeks, we'll have a singing at the 9 a.m. service to be able to celebrate God from the psalms and to praise Him in that way. And so when you return, uh, those, there's going to be a box in the back on the foyer next week, and we'll have those put back in. If you forget your paper, please just text me or email me. We'd love to have your feedback. So please participate and join in this effort so we can learn to praise God to the best of our abilities and to find our place in the church and worship. Thank you for your kind attention this morning. I appreciate you all very so, so very much. Sawyer is going to lead us in a song so we can solidify our efforts to worship God. Please stand as we sing together.